0: Welcome to Spiritual Gold, the teaching ministry of Dr. Richard L. Strauss. I'm Dr. Mark Strauss, and these podcasts represent the faithful exposition of God's Word by my father through his 21-year ministry at Emmanuel Faith Community Church. Our prayer is that through these messages, you would be encouraged and equipped in your walk with the Lord. Our God is a God of order. He's a God of direction and purpose and meaning. He knows what he's doing. And he's moving toward a goal. He's not a God of disorder and aimlessness and confusion. as Some people in the world would think he is. There's direction in his dealings with men. There's meaning in his methods on earth. There's a purpose in what he's doing. We've seen as our our study of the book of Ephesians has progressed that God's primary purpose in redemption... And bringing us to know Jesus Christ and delivering us from bondage to sin is to glorify Himself. We saw it in Ephesians chapter 1. What He did in verse 6, He did to the praise of the glory of His grace. In verse 12, that we should be to the praise of His glory. In verse 14, unto the praise of His glory. Everything God does, He does to demonstrate His glory, the the fullness of His person, the totality of His essence. We get over in chapter 2 and saw that He took those people who were dead in trespasses and sins, the material He's going to use to accomplish His purposes, who were walking according to the course of this world and according to the prince of the power of the air and, and according to the lusts of their own flesh. And He saved them by His grace verse 7 of chapter 2, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. He's got a purpose. His major purpose is to glorify himself. Now he has some other purposes too. Secondary purposes. They all lend toward accomplishing that major purpose of glorifying himself. But we learn as we open this passage in Ephesians 2 verse 11 that God's got some other purposes in this program of his on earth. We're going to see that it's a program of privilege for certain people. And it's a program of peace, which is what we need as desperately as anything else in this whole wide world. And it's likewise a program of progress. Now let's look at it in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 to 22, the end of the chapter. In verse 11, we read, Wherefore remember that you being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Now this is what we were. It's not a very happy situation. We spent quite quite a bit of time last week discovering who we were too. We were dead men. In verse 1, we were conquered and ruled by the world, the flesh, and the devil in verses 2 and 3. But God took these undeserving dead men in bondage to the world, the flesh, and the devil. And this God who is rich in grace and mercy and love made us alive together with Christ. For by grace are we saved. Now Paul's writing that and he's thinking to himself, you know, maybe there would be some people that I'm writing to who would get a little carried away with pride over that. After all, when we realize what we've been and what God did for us, why He did it for us and He didn't do it for everybody, maybe we're just a little bit above average. Just a cut above average. And I think he suspected that possibly the people to whom he was writing might have gotten a little bit puffed up with, with pride. That could do it, you know, to think God saved me and He didn't save somebody else. Maybe there was something worthy He saw in me. It's like uh, when you're a little kid, you know, and school first second third grade and it was time for the spelling bee and the captain of the team picked you first and you got puffed up with pride a little bit and then you missed the first word you know cat k-a-t and you blew the whole thing and you had to come down a few pegs you sat down in remorse and embarrassment and you knew the next time the teams were picked you wouldn't get picked first next time you see well Paul was afraid that maybe these folks needed to be reminded again of what they were. And that there really wasn't anything deserving in them that that caused God to choose them as His own. They were sinners. And God in His absolute, total grace picked them out of this bondage to sin and redeemed them. Remember, folks. See it, verse 11. Wherefore, remember that you were Gentiles in times past, you were called the uncircumcision by those who were called the circumcision after the flesh. Now Paul's highlighting a little bit of prejudice here in the early church. And there was some. These Jews thought they were God's favored people in the early church. And the early Jewish Christians tried to lay on, on the Gentile Christians the whole bondage of the law. And they were called the uncircumcision by the Jewish believers and. Probably a little bit of scorn, too, and derision. The uncircumcision. You kind of curl your lip when you said that, if you were a Jew. Back in those days, being un-something was bad. Now today it's good. You know, the uncola is supposed to be better than the cola, and the ungame is supposed to be better than other games. But there wasn't anything good about the uncircumcision in that day, if you were a Jew. You said it with a, with a curl on your lip and a sneer in your voice. The uncircumcision. That's who you were, Paul said. Don't forget what you were. But even though there was some prejudice and that attitude was not honoring and pleasing to the Lord, those Gentiles had to admit that the Jewish people did have an advantage over them. They had some some things that the Gentiles didn't have. And Paul lists those things in verse 12. They were without Christ. They were Gentiles. They didn't have the messianic hope the Jews had, and they were aliens from the commonwealth of this commonwealth of Israel. Aliens. They weren't citizens of this nation that was favored of God, chosen out from among all other nations, and God chose them and made them different with a purpose. He made them different so that He could reveal Himself to them, and they in turn could be a light to the Gentiles they never fully fulfilled that purpose. They became like the Gentiles instead and didn't carry out God's plan for them. But at least they had that favored position. They were in God's chosen nation. They were citizens of the commonwealth of Israel. Gentiles were. And beside that, they were strangers from the covenants and promises. They didn't have the Abrahamic covenant that promised them a land and a And a bountiful seed posterity and great blessing from God. They didn't have the Davidic covenant that promised them a king who would rule over them forever. They didn't have the new covenant that promised them forgiveness of sins. And the word of God inscribed upon their very hearts and souls. They didn't have those covenants. They were Gentiles. Without Christ, aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. Strangers from the covenants and promise. Having no hope and without God in the world. Now that doesn't mean no Gentiles knew God. They did. Most of them who came to know God came to know Him through the testimony of a few faithful Jews. But there were other Gentiles to whom God revealed Himself directly. This does not mean no Gentiles were saved. But generally speaking, they were in a disadvantageous situation. They did not have the same blessings and benefits that the nation of Israel had. And it was not nearly as likely as they would come to know, that they would come to know God as it was for these Jews who were raised with the knowledge of God, who were taught from their youngest days to fear God, who were, whose minds were filled with the law of God and the proper means of approaching God through a blood sacrifice. They had advantages that the Gentiles didn't have. And Paul wanted to remind those Gentiles of it. That was their past position. But he says, But now... In Christ Jesus, verse 13, you who once were far off are made near by the blood of Christ. Near. We've been made near. Our former position wasn't too happy. We're on the outside looking in. That's a terrible feeling to be on the outside looking in. Nobody likes to be on the outside realizing they're not a part, not accepted. That's what Gentiles were fact, that, that's a lot of Jew and Gentile today. Because even today, and even in Old Testament days, a Jew, even though he had that favored position and was born into that chosen nation, still had to put his faith in God and the promises God made to be rightly related to the Lord. So even in, in those days, there had to be faith. But today it's quite evident that Jew and Gentile alike are without God, without hope in the world, without Christ but now, but now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off are made near by the blood of Christ. That's another great contrast in this second chapter of Ephesians. In the first three verses, we saw that awful plight described, dead in sins in bondage to the world, the flesh and the devil. In verse four, we read, But God, who is rich in mercy, For the great love with which He loved us. Even when we were dead in sins, hath made us alive together with Christ. By grace are you saved. Now again we see that description. Separated from God. Without Christ. Without hope. But now. In Christ Jesus. You who are once far off are made near by the blood of Christ. Near. We've been brought near to God through the blood of Jesus Christ. We who are far off, separated, aliens, strangers, without hope, without God, without Christ, have been made near. Can you think of anything better than to be brought near to God? That place of perfect rest where there's help for our perplexities and grace for our need and comfort for our heartaches. We've been brought near. I love that hymn. There is a place of quiet rest near to the heart of God. A place where sin cannot molest near to the heart of God. There is a place of comfort sweet, a place where we, our Savior, meet. There is a place of full release, a place where all is joy and peace. O Jesus, blessed Redeemer, sent from the heart of God, hold us who wait before Thee, near to the heart of God. There wouldn't be any possible way we could sing that song, were it not for the blood of Jesus Christ, by which we who were once afar off have now been made near. What a privilege to be brought near to God. God's program is a program of privilege. But that's not all. We read in verse 14, For He is our peace. And we learn immediately that it's a program of peace. He is our peace, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. There's two aspects of the peace That Jesus provided for us here in this passage of scripture. Verses 14 to 18. God's program of peace. First of all he made peace between Jew and Gentile. There hasn't been much peace between Jew and Gentile through the years. In Jesus day there wasn't much peace between Jew and Gentile. The Jews hated the Gentiles. They were prejudiced against the Gentiles. Hardly a day went by that the Pharisees didn't pray. God thank you that I'm not a Gentile. When they built their temple, they built a wall of separation between the court of the Gentiles and the rest of the temple area. There was no communication between them. Gentiles were unclean. They were dogs by the Jewish way of thinking. And those Jews, and even in the early church, as we pointed out, there was prejudice from, of the Jews against the Gentiles. Now the tables have turned. And a whole world, nearly a whole world, is prejudiced against the Jews. There still isn't any peace between Jew and Gentile. There are nations surrounding the tiny nation of Israel in the Middle East tonight, whose one goal is to push them into the Mediterranean Sea and destroy them. And even those who were once Israel's friends are now rapidly becoming her enemies. Read in today's Family Weekly that the support of Israel is now only 55.5% in our own nation. It was at one time higher than that. Whereas four years ago, readers believed by a four to one majority that, that the PLO, which is a terrorist organization dedicated to the destruction of Israel the PLO should not be recognized by the US four to one four years ago readers this year rejected recognition by a two to one majority so support for Israel is declining even in our own country as a matter of fact it's declining even within the Jewish community in the United States for some of the things that Israel is doing right now and there is no peace between Jew and Gentile there is animosity There's hatred. And antisemitism is right in our country today. Even among some professing Christians. Some fundamental professing Christians, believe it or not. It's hard for me to understand. But it is true. It just bears out the truth of God's word. There's a wall between Jew and Gentile. There is no peace outside of Jesus Christ, but He is our peace who hath made both one, Jew and Gentile, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition, having abolished in His flesh the enmity. What was the enmity? What really separates Jew and Gentile? It's the law. All those 613 ordinance, commandments, and judgments. All those little laws that Gentiles don't keep that highlight the differences between them and Jews. That's the thing that separates them. But it says in verse 15, Jesus abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances to make in himself of the two, Jew and Gentile, one new man. He didn't make Jews into Gentiles and he didn't make Gentiles into Jews. There are some today who believe that the church of Jesus Christ is merely spiritual Israel. That God has no future for the nation Israel and that the church is fulfilling all God's promises to Israel. That there is no future time when Jesus Christ shall, shall come back again and establish his kingdom on earth and the nation Israel shall be prominent. A believing nation in that day. They don't believe that. They believe that God has made Gentiles into Jews. It doesn't say God did that. I'm going to stand with the Apostle Paul on this issue. He made of Jew and Gentile one new man. That's referring to that new body, the body of Christ, the church of Jesus Christ, composed of Jew and Gentile who've acknowledged their sin, their need of a Savior, and put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as the one who bore their sins on Calvary's cross. He made one new man. There wasn't any other way to bring peace between Jew and Gentile but to break down the middle wall of partition, and he did it in his death. When Jesus Christ died on that cross, he had already lived a perfect life and his righteous life fulfilled the demands of the law. Now he died a sacrificial death and he bore the curse of the law. And now the claims of the law are no longer upon us. We've been delivered from the law to serve Jesus Christ through the power of his indwelling spirit. Jew and Gentile are one in him. And there really isn't any other place where Jew and Gentile can be absolutely one But in the body of Christ. He is our peace. Who hath broken down the middle wall of partition. And made both into one. One body in Christ. But that's not all Jesus did when he made peace. It says in verse 16. That he might reconcile both Jew and Gentile unto God. In one body by the cross. Having slain the enmity thereby both Jew and Gentile, that were separated from God and afar off from God, and in need of redeeming grace, God brought both of them into fellowship with Himself. He not only reconciled Jew and Gentile to each other, but He reconciled Jew and Gentile sinners together unto Himself. And He did that too, by the cross. Having slain the enmity thereby, and so He came and He preached peace to you who are far off and to them who are near. For through him we both have access by one Spirit unto the Father. Now we need both aspects of this peace. We need to be reconciled to each other. Not just Jew and Gentile, but sometimes Gentile and Gentile, or Jew and Jew. Need to be reconciled to each other. And both, all of us, need to be reconciled to God. Only the cross of Christ can bring true reconciliation and true peace between people. Sometimes we think there are other ways to achieve peace, but not, not really. O- only through Jesus Christ. And we need both aspects of this peace. Sometimes people try to, s- to substitute one for the other. They think, if only I had a good friend, somebody I could share my joys and my sorrows with. That would suffice. That's all I need. I don't need God. I just need a friend. Somebody I can be in harmony with in this life, and that's sufficient. But it isn't sufficient. I read a story a while back about two brothers named the Rebush brothers. They were bachelors. Roman Rebush was 65, George Rebush was 63. Their health was poor. Each of them had to use a cane. They lived together for many years, and they'd worked together, operating a little company that manufactured bridal veils. Business had been bad for a number of years. So one Tuesday night, the Rebush brothers made a token payment to another manufacturer in their office building who had befriended them, and had lent them money from time to time. And the brothers appeared at peace with each other and peace with the world as they joked together with their benefactor. And then the two brothers, Roman and George, went back to their office, wrote, sat down at their desk and on their little sixth-floor office in the Millinery District of New York and typed a note. It said, We have no money, we have no relatives, we have no friends. We don't want any religious service. Just bury us where you can. And with that, they went to the window and leaped out to death together. You see, they were at peace with each other. But that didn't really meet the need of their lives. That didn't really fill the deep longing in their souls. They needed something else they didn't have. And peace with one another couldn't substitute for Oh, it's important. We need it desperately. But it can never substitute for peace with God. And that was purchased through the blood of His cross. Have you made your peace with God? Henry Thoreau was asked that question one time by a relative. Have you made your peace with God? He answered, I'm not aware that we've ever quarreled. Well, you know, many people aren't. But the truth of the scripture is still there, very clearly stated. That we are enemies of God. Our sin alienates us from God. Chapter 4 and verse 18. Our understanding is darkened. We are alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in us. We're separated from God. We need to be reconciled to Him. That reconciliation was provided in the death of Jesus Christ. There is no other way to have peace with God save through our Lord Jesus Christ. What's God doing in the world today? He's providing some great privileges for people who are willing to acknowledge their sin and trust Jesus Christ Once they were outside, now they're on the inside. They've been made near. And He's providing peace. Peace with Him, peace with each other through the blood of His cross. But that's not all He's doing. God's program on earth is likewise a program of progress. We read in verse 19, Now therefore you are no more strangers and sojourners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. You've been added to something. You've been added to the household of God. You've been added to God's family. You have equal rights and privileges with all the other members of God's household. You are fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. That would imply that there is perpetual growth in this household. People keep being born into the family of God. Citizens keep being added to God's holy nation. Members keep being added to the household of God. And that thought seems to grab the attention of the Apostle Paul. And so he expands it in the last three verses of this chapter. He says, And you're built upon the foundation. You are built upon the foundation of the Apostles and Prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building, fitly framed together, groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are built together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. Now there's a building being built, Paul says. The apostles and prophets are the foundation of it. There's a great debate as to whether he's talking about Old Testament or New Testament prophets. I would think since the prophets follow the apostles, he's talking about New Testament prophets. And since he refers on two other occasions in the book of Ephesians to New Testament prophets, that's added weight to that being the case. It's found, and you'll find it in chapter 3 and verse 5. God's truth is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by one spirit. And you'll find it again in chapter 4, verse 11. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastor teachers. So I think he's talking about New Testament prophets and apostles and they're the foundation. Now you only put one foundation in a building. You lay it at the first and then you build the superstructure on top of it. And that's one reason most of us in this church at any rate believe that the technical gift of apostles and prophets has ceased. Oh, the functions are the same. Apostles are sent one. We have sent ones today. Prophets are those who declare, who forth tell the, the word of God, who reveal the will and word of God. And there are those who declare the will and word of God today. But the technical New Testament gift of apostleship and of prophecy is no longer in operation. Those men... Specifically, uniquely chosen by God to reveal God's word before it was recorded. Those men were for the foundation period of the church. And so on top of them now is the superstructure. And Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. He's the one in whom the whole building hangs together. All the weight is on him, the cornerstone. As a matter of fact, he's he's the basic foundation because he indwells the apostles and prophets back in First Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 11, we're told that Jesus Christ himself is the cornerstone. He's part of that cornerstone. I mean the foundation. He's not only part of the foundation, he's part of the he is the cornerstone and he's part of every stone that's put in that building. because the stones are you and me and he dwells within us. He's part of the whole building. in fact it's his home. It's where he dwells. We are being built up together verse 22 for a habitation of God through the spirit. It's the Spirit of Jesus Christ who dwells in us. Dwelling in us, we're part of this building. He inhabits the building. Now this isn't a building, a body stacked on top of each other. That's not what this is talking about. It's talking about persons whom God has redeemed by His grace, who are joined to one another and joined to Jesus Christ become part of Him, one with each other. And we are building a holy temple in the Lord. And we're growing together. Each one of us as living stones, Peter says in 1 Peter two five, are fitted into this building so that it grows into a holy temple in the Lord, a habitation of God through the Spirit. I love this passage because it tells us God's doing something spectacular in the world today. He's building something. God's accomplishing something vast, something immense, something spectacular, something tremendous, God is a God of vastness and infinity. And He's not doing anything little, insignificant, unimportant. What God's doing in the world today is the only thing that really matters. And it's something worthwhile. And you and I are a part of it. If we've trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, one of those living stones that God's put into that building. And now He calls on us to be the instruments and agents to reveal His truth to to others so that they too may, by the Spirit, be added to this building and become another living stone in this great superstructure that God is building for all eternity. I thank God we don't have this small mentality at a manual faith that we find in some evangelical churches. Even churches like ours. I find sometimes that people begin to think if it's small, it's spiritual. If it's big, it's bad, you know. If it's colossal, it's carnal. Just can't be good. And they look on up, you know, man, we're getting big. You must not be really towing the mark. You must not be separated under the Lord. You folks must be compromising the Scripture to get so big. No, no. If God's in it, friend, something's going to happen. People are going to get saved. Building blocks are going to be added to the building. God's doing something tremendous in this world. And you and I are a part of it. When was the last time He let you, you let Him use you? To add a block to the building. The last time you were available to God to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with somebody that provided an opening in everyday matter of business or everyday affairs of living. The opportunities are all around us. People's hearts are hungry. They're they're looking for something that has meaning to it, something worth living for. They're looking for something to provide hope beyond the grave. Hearts are open, if only we'll be available. God's program is a program of progress. Are you letting Him make you a vital part of it? This building program that God's involved in? It's a program of privilege. What a joy it is to thank God for the privileges He's provided us, drawing us near to Him. It's a program of peace And how we can thank God for the peace we have with Him through Jesus Christ. And the peace we can enjoy one with another when we're filled with His Spirit. And it's a program of progress. We need to let Him use us to build the building. To add the stones. To construct a holy temple, which is a habitation of God through the Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You. That you've allowed us to be part of this program. And we confess to you, Lord, that we, always haven't, we haven't always been as faithful as we should be in letting you use us. And we pray that tonight we'll accept the challenge. And we'll be available. Lord, that's all you ask of us. To be available. Instruments for you to use. Vessels for you to fill. And then you're going to use us. And Lord, I pray that if there are some here tonight who are still on the outside looking in, you'll assure them that there's acceptance, there's forgiveness, there's life through the shed blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, Father, as we remember that shed blood and that broken body, we pray that our hearts may be fixed upon the Lord Jesus, the one who provided it all through his death on the cross. For we ask it in his name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message by Dr. Richard L. Strauss. Copyright 2021, Spiritual Gold, Inc., all rights reserved. For more on this ministry and for additional resources, be sure to visit spiritualgold.org.